When it comes to judging lures, versatility is one of the most important factors. We're going to talk about one of the most versatile lures of all in this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks once again for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse. Check them out, sportsmans.com. It's my second podcast this week, guys, and uh, we got a little out of sync there. I normally try to do one every Friday, but was under the weather last Friday and didn't get one done, so there's going to be two here relatively quick, but that's okay. Hopefully, you tune into both of them, and uh, and we'll get back on a regular track from here on out, but it is uh, something like six degrees outside. Uh, first time it's been above zero since mid-afternoon yesterday. It's all snowy out. It's hard to get too excited about fishing right now, uh, but that is what it is. And and when I'm thinking about podcasts, I always try to keep them, first of all, they're off the cuff. Second of all, I try to keep them to some degree seasonal. And it's hard to think seasonal fishing when it's six degrees and snowy and my lake's frozen and da-da-da-da-da. But depending on where you're listening, you might be fishing right now. Maybe you're somewhere in the south. You might be fishing bass right now. And maybe you're ice fishing somewhere. And that's, you know, a possibility. And the lure I want to talk about today will fit either of those scenarios. Maybe you're in Florida and you're snook fishing. Well, it'll fit there too. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you're up fishing river somewhere in the northwest. Well, it'll work there as well. And a lot of you are probably sitting here thinking, oh, he's going to go back to the gulp minnow. He's going to go to the gulp minnow, the most versatile lure. Well, no, I'm not. I'm going to tell you that still is the most versatile lure. But it's not always the most efficient lure. It's a lure that will always get you in the ballpark, but it isn't always the fastest thing you can fish. And that's one of the things I like about this other lure. The other lure that I'm that I'm talking about also has one distinct uh, advantage when it comes to fish locating it and uh, and triggering on it for, as far as biting, and uh, or maybe even two advantages depending uh, on on how you consider that, and so I think they add up to making the the bait that I'm referencing extremely versatile for a wide variety of fish. We're talking about literally everything from redfish and snook and sea trout to groupers and bottom feeders uh, in the ocean, snappers and groupers, things like that, uh, jacks, amber jacks, no problem, uh, easy peasy on those as well. Also an excellent bass lure uh, for large and smallmouth bass, striped bass, wipers and white bass love this particular lure as well. Um, walleyes, fantastic walleye bait. Uh, of course, pike love it, but pike like most lures, <laughs> so that doesn't... Narrow it down a whole bunch. But uh, enough rambling. Let's talk about the lure itself. I want to talk about lipless crankbaits. You guys uh, you guys are familiar with lipless crankbaits. You may be familiar with the term rattle trap. In fact, they're almost synonymous in the same way that a tissue and a Kleenex are synonymous. But not all lipless crankbaits are rattle traps. But the concept is there. It was invented by Bill Lewis. And the concept of the rattle trap is there. And... What makes a lipless crankbait a lipless crankbait? The defining feature is that it sinks. So rather than a traditional crankbait with a diving lip that forces it to dive only on the retrieve and then floats on the rest, on the pause, a traditional lipless crankbait sinks. And so you can count it to whatever level you want and then begin to retrieve it. So that's one of the versatility things 
is that the bait itself sinks, which there's that, which means there's no limitation to how deep I can fish it. Oh, it's only a matter how long I want to wait for it to sink to the bottom. And lipless crankbaits are made by a huge range of manufacturers. I most commonly throw a Berkeley Warpig over the last four or five years since that bait came out. Um, but there's a whole slew of them, starting with the original Rattle Trap, the, the Red Eye Shad was one, I think Missouri makes a vibe. There's a bunch of different companies that make them. The reason that I like the Warpig is it has a very consistent action to it. I like its overall uh, size versus weight, or in other words, its profile versus its weight. Um, great color profile across the board and affordable as well. So it's just a good choice when it comes to lipless crankbaits, but there's so many of them out there that even as a hardcore fan of Berkeley stuff like I am, I still carry a couple of different lipless crankbait brands in my box because they have different vibrations, different uh, noise signatures that come out of them. And I referenced right away that they sink. Well, that's also uh, a hint as to their weight. One of the great things about a lipless crankbait is they're, I mean, a small one, a little tiny one is an eighth of an ounce. And I've seen them that small for panfish, crappies, uh, things like that. Most commonly, they're going to be quarter, half, or three-quarter ounce. Uh, for me, the majority of the time, it's a half-ounce bait. Uh, but I've seen them as high as, I believe, an ounce and a half, maybe even two ounces. Some great big lipless crankbaits for offshore fish like wahoo and tuna. But that tells you how good they are at triggering bites. And the, how come they're so heavy for a given, for a given uh, profile? Let's say a half ounce lipless crankbait. It's only maybe inch and a half to two inches long, depending on the brand. Maybe not even that long. Um, they're full of BBs. And those BBs might be tungsten. They might be steel. Uh, they might be brass, depends on the company that makes them. Um, but those BBs all rattle together and make a kind of almost breaking glass sound when the bait is when the bait is vibrating and the 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 leading lip of the bait's not a diving bill I want to point that out but the body of the bait the leading edge from the nose up on the bait is flat and for almost all the brands and the reason it's flat is it forces the bait to vibrate side to side very similarly to the diving lip would on a traditional crankbait. And that vibration side to side is what makes all those BBs shake like crazy inside that bait. And the faster it goes, the harder they shake and the more noise they make. Now, I've fished slipless crankbaits since I was a kid, since they were first invented. Um, but it really didn't strike home with me as to how important that sound that they make can be until I was swimming in the Ciencon biosphere in Mexico as a young adult. Uh, I was swimming in a lagoon there, and there was a big, giant school of, of uh, manhaden in Florida. We'd call them white bait. Um, not even sure 100% that they're manhaden, but they look like manhaden. They're kind of like saltwater's version of a shad. And I was swimming through this whole school snorkeling with them. And as they spooked away from me, when I would reach out and try to grab one of them, they would spook. And, and a school of fish moves together, a very tight school. You've seen balls of shad or smelt or whatever. They move as a unit. And when that whole school would turn away from me and scatter, it made almost like a breaking glass sound. And 
uh, after that sound always stuck with me as the unique sound that the, that the baitfish made. Well, then some years later, I was working the International Sportsman's Expo, and I was working a glass demonstration tank. It's like a four thousand gallon tank. It's got fish in it, and I'm doing a presentation for the crowd. And I was I was practicing warming up, and I had a lipless crankbait on, and I'd rip that thing off the bottom of the tank uh, with the rod. Just and you'd hear it, and it make that same almost breaking glass sound that all those Manhaden made when they spooked away from me. And the kind of the light bulb went on. I might be a slow learner, but I caught that one right away. And that scattering sound of bait fish that scatter every direction when a predator fish charges into them is what that lipless crankbait was designed to mimic. And therefore, that sound is a trigger for predator fish because let's say we're in an inlet, we're in Florida somewhere, okay? And there's a big school of, of bait fish up against, you know, pilchards, let's say, up against the, the seawall. One snook rushes into them and bum rushes those bait fish. And they all scatter every direction, except for the one that got eaten by that snook, of course. But all the rest of the snook that are in that area all heard those bait fish scatter and know that there's a food uh, opportunity or a feed bell just got sounded. It's no different than you see hunting shows on TV and the feeder goes off. And I'm totally opposed to, to the whole idea of feeding game to, to call them in as far as from the sports standpoint. Don't get me wrong. But I've seen enough of the shows. And I know where it's legal. People do it. And, and it is what it is. Feeder goes off. Literally, deer come running from every direction. They know it. Well, fish do the same thing. When I was fishing one time with Brent Chapman who is, uh, at that time, was just about to win the Angler of the Year. I believe it was 2012. He was going to win the BASS Angler of the Year trophy, or he went on to a month after I fished with him. We pulled up to a lake that neither he and I had ever been to in eastern Kansas, and there was a fish feeder on it that Kansas DNR had put in the lake because it was a new lake, and they were trying to get it going. They were trying to get bluegills going in this lake. So they put a feeder in there to feed the bluegills. We went up to where that feeder was, and as soon as, as soon as Brent saw that feeder, he was like, oh, well, wait a minute. And he got an empty coffee cup from his truck, and he collected a bunch of gravel from the parking lot. We boated over to that feeder, and he took a handful of that gravel and just threw it out in the water. And within about 15 seconds, bluegills popped up everywhere. They were expecting all that gravel hitting the water to be food pellets coming out of that feeder. And they popped up so fast it was unbelievable. Well, we didn't see any bass, but you and I both know, dear listener, that there was bass underneath those bluegills immediately. That's just how the food chain works. The lipless crankbait does a fantastic job of provoking that, hey, there's fish feeding somewhere response out of other predatory fish. And that's one of the biggest keys about it. That sound is undeniable, and they, it can be even on an even retriever, just constantly retrieving it, just all the way through the water column. But it can also be where you rip it off the bottom and let it settle, and it makes a real distinct as it comes up, and then it very slowly settles itself back down to the bottom and do a lift and drop. One of the beauties of the fact that it sinks is the fact that I can literally fish it purely vertical as well. So I referenced in the very beginning of this that a guy ice fishing, maybe you're in Minnesota and you're ice fishing. Well, the lipless crankbait on a lift and drop is a great way to, to effectively be a fish call. Maybe there's no fish near you, but the noise of that, and keep in mind that sound travels considerably faster underwater and the denser the density of the water helps fish hear it. Uh, it's, 
you, you rip that lipless crankbait and all of that vibration and all that sound goes into the water column and fish can hear it from all over the place. In fact, it can be used where legal as a fish call such that I have two ice holes drilled next to each other or maybe two anglers in the bow of a boat, which I'll get back to in a minute. One hole is your dead stick hole and you've got a, maybe an actual live bait or in my case, maybe a gulp minnow or maybe a little wacky rig something or other down there that just hangs there and doesn't move. But in the hole right next to it, you've got a lipless crankbait and you're ripping that thing up and down. Rip it up and let it fall. Rip it up and let it fall. The fish will come to investigate that lipless crankbait making all that noise, but it's the dead stick that gets bit. So ironically, if you only have the dead stick and not the lipless crankbait, you don't catch near as many fish. Conversely, if you only have the lipless crankbait and not the dead stick bait, you don't catch as many fish. It's the combination of the fish call and then the bait that's just sitting there that looks and smells right and doesn't give them any negativity that will get them to bite. The lipless crankbaits is something that they'll bum rush and look on, look at, but it might give too much of a, of, of a noise profile so that it doesn't sneak up on fish. They hear it, they come look at it, but it's more like a puppy sitting there turning his head side to side, trying to figure out what exactly is going on with the noise. It got his attention, but he's not necessarily gonna bite it. But wait, we might notice that minnow right there, and I'm gonna bite that. Lipless crankbait's fantastic as a fish call. The other thing is because I can fish at any depth uh, in deep, dark areas of water, maybe lake trout in the 75 to 100 foot range, again, uh, I can rip it up off the bottom and I can make noise. Now, somebody right away is going to say, well, there's probably not schools of fish down there. Well, you could be wrong because baby kokanee salmon uh, swim around below the thermoclines in depth. And so maybe it's the same thing. I'm not going to tell you I've heard baby kokanee salmon, but that's the number one prey species of those lake trout. And uh, it's quite possible that that scenario is going on. Same thing with groupers on a, on a reef somewhere uh, or amberjacks. They're used to schools of fish swimming around all over the place. It's that scattering sound that gets fish to bite. So, And that's one of the keys to fishing the lipless crankbait. So another key, because it sinks... Um, is that it will stay down at any speed. So I can fish it really slow if I want to uh, with the tip up and I can still just kind of crawl the bait along and it won't go real deep because I have the rod tip pointed up, keep my line at a steep angle coming off the water. But if I want to fish it faster at the same depth range, I can just slowly work my rod tip down to where maybe at some point it's all the way down in the water column to keep the to keep the bait running just under the surface because the lipless crankbait excels on a high speed retrieve as well because it doesn't displace a tremendous amount of water. It doesn't have a big diving lip on the front of it. It doesn't blow out, so to speak, meaning that the pressure of the water is more than the diving lip can take and the bait rolls off to one side. A well-tuned lipless crankbait will run at very high speeds. It's also one of the reasons that I choose to run the Berkeley Warpig because it's a very stable bait at any speed. Some lipless crankbaits are more or less stable than others at various speeds. The Warpig, it flutters down and stays vertical very well on a vertical drop, but it's also very stable on a high speed retrieve coming forward. And I'm talking about full on high speed, like an 
eight to one retrieve ratio on a bait caster where I make big long throws with a seven and a half foot long rod across maybe a grass flat somewhere and work that thing at full speed. I mean, as fast as I can wind it back and maybe doing nothing more than steering the rod tip side to side as I do it, or with a little stutter step about every 10th turn of the handle in the reel, where it's just a wind, 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 and then just a real quick quarter second pause, just enough to change the cadence of the bait a little bit. That's probably what the, the bait's most famous for, uh, a lipless crankbait, is, is you know retrieved at high speed over grass flats. I believe, if I'm correct, that it was invented in Texas to fish over like hydrilla and things in the lake aquatic vegetation for largemouth. And that, those same characteristics that it was designed for make it fantastic for working grass flats for redfish, sea trout, um, things like that and on open grass flats in saltwater because I can work it, say, an 18-inch deep flat, two-foot deep flat. I can work it at high speed across that flat and cover a tremendous amount of water in so doing. Now, the one caveat in that scenario is that because a lipless crankbait gives off so much noise, the shallower it is, the windier I tend to want it to be to be able to fish it because you will either spook fish with it because they'll hear it coming from a long ways away if the environment is very quiet, meaning very, very calm. There's no wind, no boat traffic. Well, now a fish is going to hear that thing from a long ways away in the same way that if I'm standing in an empty auditorium, and I barely talk, everyone will hear it. But if that auditorium is full of people, I'm going to have to yell to get anyone to hear anything. Well, the same thing with the environment. When the wind's blowing, you need some ways for, to help fish locate your bait. And a lipless crankbait is fantastic for that. And the shallower the water is, the, the better that scenario is. So in other words, if we're in a shallow grass flat, say the water's two feet deep and the wind's ripping, a lipless crankbait's one of the first things I'm going to grab. It doesn't matter what species I'm fishing for. Conversely, that same grass flat, if it's the wind's glass calm, well, whatever I throw is probably not going to have any sort of rattle in it. And uh, that way I'm more sneaky because grass flats tend to be clear. Uh, there's a lot of light penetration because the water's shallow. I need to sneak up on my fish if it's real calm, but I need my fish to help me locate my lure uh, if it's not real calm. And so then the lipless crankbait is a great choice for that. What I might do in that scenario is burn it fast over the top of the turtle grass or whatever the grass is that you're fishing around and then give it a stutter step whenever the bait gets over the top of any of the holes in the grass, the little <clears throat> those sand holes or something like that. Uh, that you see in, in saltwater grass flats commonly. Or maybe I'm fishing here in Colorado around a lodia grass for bass. Same thing. I'll work it real fast over the shallow grass tops. And then when I get to an edge, I'll stall it for a second, let the bait settle, and then pick the retrieve right back up in a hurry. Uh, very, very good way to trigger bites doing that. Another thing that makes the lipless crankbait so good in the wind is it's small and dense and doesn't have a diving lip on it, which means I can throw it, even on casting gear, straight into the wind. You can throw it very easily. It's one of the easiest lures to cast, at least as far as hollow, hard-bodied lures go. It's a very, very easy lure to cast. And therefore, I can throw it you know, a long ways if it's calm out and I'm fishing a little bit deeper. Um, or maybe I'm doing the yo-yo presentation when it's calm out where I'm doing a lift and drop, lift and drop, where I lift it. And then when it shimmies down on its way to the bottom, similar to a spoon or a blade bait, 
um, that I'm fishing on a, on a hybrid vertical presentation, the, the lipless crankbait makes an excellent blade bait substitute. Fished exactly the same way uh, can be fantastic for that. And so that lift and drop presentation I'll do when it's, when it's not windy out. But when it is windy out is when I'm more likely to tie a lipless crankbait on and do it on an even retrieve. The other thing is the clearer the water or the calmer it is, the faster I'm going to work that bait. The, the windier it is or the darker the water, the more even and methodic I'm going to work that bait. That's the, that's the one scenario there um, that is kind of a generality that I'll speak to that goes either way. Uh, you know, like I said, if it's real calm, the bait needs to go real fast and give the fish no chance to really look at it because they are going to hear it, and that's really, really important. I haven't mentioned, but it's an excellent bait also in running water. Running water is a noisy environment. You've ever stand next to a river, you know it's physically noisy. Fantastic bait in the river because I can swing it really high speed across current. Again, as we've talked about, I can work it extremely fast or extremely slow, and the bait is stable. So I can swing it, you know, across current like I would a streamer fly, um, or I would, you know, a hard bait, a jerk bait, something like that. But the noise will help, which means let's think of something scenario like spring runoff, where the water's muddy. Well, now a trout. He wants to eat. He's burning a lot of energy. A trout in the river in the muddy, muddy water. You know, he's in. He's burning a lot of energy just to hold in the water. He needs to eat. What he normally would be eating is very small and hard to locate. Doesn't give off any any noise. But that lipless crankbait ripping, making a bunch of noise. Something he can hear. He can his lateral line will feel it in the water column. He can find it and have him run a good chance at smacking it at that point. If I'm going to fish it in muddy water, they tend to be very bright colored. Um, chartreuses, oranges, reds, something in that range. If the sun's out, which is a very common scenario because high sun and wind go together um, because of high pressure systems, then for me, a lot of the time it's going to be chrome. And either a gold chrome if there's tannin in the water or silver chrome if there's not tannin in the water. Tannin is what makes iced tea look like iced tea. You can still see through it, but the tea leaves stay in the water. Well, that's what tannin is. And tannin does the same thing to everything in the ecosystem. So I will turn all my lures into gold chrome if I'm going to fish where there's a bunch of tannin in the water, which is typically associated with heavy forested areas uh, or pine forested areas. Tannin can be um, a, a really good indicator that you need to be throwing gold. Conversely, no tannin, silver is a good call. If I'm saltwater fishing, the easy answer is incoming tides tend to be silver chromes, outgoing tides tend to be gold chromes because the outgrowing tides the outgoing tides bring the tannin-stained water from the inland areas with them. So if, if the sun's out or the water's even remotely clear, I'm going to use one of my chromes. That's just that's all there is to it. I want this bait to be highly reactive. I want it to be loud and shiny, and I want it to be reactive. I want to draw fish from a long ways away, or I wouldn't be throwing a lipless crankbait. Conversely, in the mud or the stain scenario, like I said, reds, pinks, chartreuses, um, really good call. Most of my chromes will have a touch of chartreuse, uh, something like that with them. One of my favorite trout colors of all time was a gold chrome with a pink back. Um, 
the War Pig's got a blue, a chrome with a blue back that I really, really like. Pure chrome, fantastic color, just straight pure chrome with an eye and a false eye, great colors. But somewhere around that range is where I'm going to be with my lipless crankbaits. I don't get really hung up on colors. I have really shiny ones, a couple of different, either gold chrome or silver chrome, and then I have really bright ones. And, and then of course, just like every other hard bait out there, a plain bone color. If you don't have a good solid answer, use bone white. Uh, that will get you in the ballpark so often that it's one of my favorite colors of all time. And it gets very little play. And you guys hardly ever see me throw it because I only throw it when I'm confused. <laughs> if I've got a good vibe on colors, I'll throw something a little more specialized than that. But as far as what tackle I throw it on, that's going to again be all over the board because the fishing styles are going to be all over the board. So... I will throw the lipless crankbait occasionally on spinning tackle, like if I'm in a river, because I strongly prefer spinning tackle in a river, I'll throw it on spinning tackle, no problem. In that scenario, it's going to be on braided line. Almost always these days, if I'm throwing spinning tackle with a hard bait, it's got braided line of some sort. Um, the braided line handles the bait very well. It's very reactive. Typically, I'll put a short fluorocarbon leader on the end of it because that fluorocarbon leader, I'm talking like 8 to 18 inches long, that fluorocarbon leader will keep those that bait in the event that it catches up with the actual line from tying crazy knots around the treble hooks with the braided line. Fluorocarbon's stiff enough to keep that from happening, whereas braided line will tie the weirdest knots you've ever seen around treble hooks. Uh, it'll also get in split rings, things like that. Fluorocarbon will keep that from happening. If I'm fishing them in open water, particularly on a high-speed scenario, maybe bass fishing or flats fishing, um, in flats fishing it will be on braid for sure uh, because I typically need more bulk. I need some tensile strength. I could hook a giant fish as well because I'm fishing saltwater. So it'll be on light braided line. And almost all my flats fishing is done in spinning tackle. It would be on a six foot six medium heavy, medium heavy spinning rod with 20 pound braid. I can throw that thing like 75 yards on that tackle and you can cover a whole bunch of water. If I'm in fresh water, it's probably going to be on fluorocarbon in the 12 to 20 pound range and it will be on casting tackle and um and a real high speed reel and that floor cart and the reason there is the rod stiffer itself and i'll be winding the bait full speed and when i get those suction bites from from bass <clears throat> then um you'll have a good shot of keeping a lot of them pinned their mouth is very very uh thin and i keep a lot of them pinned that way by having the floor carbon and the and in that scenario. But there's really not a distinct black and white answer because if I'm fishing the lipless crankbait around heavy grass, I may have to clear grass off the bait on a regular basis just from I'm retrieving it. You'll feel the bait go dead. You need to clear, meaning it's only vibrating, you need to clear the grass off it so the braided line will help with that. So I don't have a black and white answer for you. I, I fish it about half the time on braid, about half the time on, on fluorocarbon, just depending on where. I'm fishing the overall scenario. So more it's about mixing up the retrieves. Am I a high-speed straight retrieve? Am I yo-yoing this thing? Am I fishing it straight vertical? Uh, am I doing a quick stop and go? I mean, the, the scenarios are all over the board with lipless crankbaits. And again, that's one of the reasons they're, they're such good bite triggers. One thing I'll tell you, keep good hooks on them. You're going to get a lot of fish that swipe at lipless crankbaits and don't get them. Probably more than any other lure out there, I foul hook fish with lipless crankbaits. And I think because, for one, the bait's very fast. In a lot of cases, it's somewhat erratic because it's a lift and drop. 
For two, it's a bunch of noise. I think you get aggression strikes and fish just smash it and you'll hook them on top of the head or the side of the face. Keep good quality treble hooks on your lipless crankbait. The other thing that'll happen is if you've got species that jump like trout, and they are severely underestimated by the way as lipless crankbaits are for trout. It is a fantastic way to catch trout. Uh, in the prairie pothole lakes around the vegetation there as well, particularly on the windy days. But anyway, you'll get species like trout or bass that jump. They'll shake and try to spit that lure out. It's a heavy, dense lure, so it'll swing around. So make sure you have good treble hooks on there all the time. That's going to be a key thing. So lipless crankbait, whether you go super old school with a rattle trap or super new school with a Berkeley war pig or anywhere in between, it's a fantastic bait, guys, all the way around. It really doesn't even matter a whole bunch what you fish for. In fact, I'll end this by saying this. One of the largest channel cats I ever caught inhaled a yo-yoed lipless crankbait and uh, had to be dug out with 8-inch long pliers. So uh, if catfish will smack one, everybody will. You know that. So I <clears throat> appreciate you guys tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. We always have fun doing these. Again, they're off the cuff. If you've got a specific topic you'd like to hear me talk about, or maybe I need to get somebody as a guest on to talk about, let me know at chat at fishfulthinker.com. Uh, of course, you can message us at Facebook or Instagram at fishfulthinker or at Chad Lachance. I'm on both of those, uh, as well as Instagram, or excuse me, as well as uh, YouTube at fishfulthinker. That's important to us. But most importantly, we hope you'll tune on to World Fishing Network and Altitude Sports Entertainment and see what we're up to five days a week on both of those networks. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>